We've participated in Nevada's Big Give in the past, but I'm not sure who's sponsoring it now. How do Nevada nonprofits participate in this day? So uh, United Way has been generously hosting and kind of holding and administering Nevada's Big Give for the last few years. And uh, they're at a point they're looking to transition that and actually find uh, a new community partner. And I know they've actively communicated that out to everybody, uh, letting you know, the Nevada nonprofit sector know that they are looking for a partner to kind of take this on and move it forward. So with that said, I think there isn't a definitive answer yet. I know it's in process and I know United Way is going to be communicating that from what I've heard um, in the next um, several, several weeks uh, from probably when this is uh, posted, this, uh, this podcast is published. So anyways, with that said, um, I think there's some other things to think about related to this. Uh, there is an opportunity more in the near term until this is all figured out for Giving Tuesday. And Giving Tuesday is, um, you know, on a larger scale than Nevada's Big Give. Nevada's Big Give, for those who don't know, is, you know, 24 hours of online giving, one single platform where any Nevada nonprofit that wants to participate can participate and help raise money and awareness for their organization, right? But Giving Tuesday is sort of a global platform. Same, you know, it's a similar idea. You can um, set it up um, in a lot of different ways for your organization, but it's got similar principles and they have trainings and toolkits and all sorts of other good stuff on their website. So um, what I would encourage you to do is definitely keep your eyes posted for announcements from United Way about how this is moving forward. But in the meantime, if you're really looking for um, how to participate in something similar, uh, there are opportunities through things like Giving Tuesday. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding. Aloha. <laughs> okay, so he started cracking up, but I'm sorry. I am sort of mentally wishing I were on a beach in Hawaii right now. And is anyone else listening to this wishing the same thing? Um, you can listen to this on a beach. Well, you could, well, yeah, but how practical is that? Wait, so, anyways, stop doing that. Exactly. If you're listening to this on a beach, knock it oh, off. Oh God, yeah, please. You have no life if you're doing that. So, but you know, do go get your little umbrella drink and maybe put on some luau music in the background and listen to this episode of Nonprofit Everything. We're so glad you joined us. We love answering your questions, no matter how pressing, how big, how small. Nothing is uh, too mundane or too complicated. We are here for you. And of course, uh, thank you to Anne, Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, for making this podcast possible. Today's episode is sponsored by Brenda J. Stout CPA, a full-service accounting firm specializing in nonprofit tax compliance and IRS problem resolution. Find out more at brendastoutcpa.com or check the Nonprofit Everything show notes for contact information. Thank you, Brenda J. Stout CPA. Thank you, Brenda. I'm a recent college grad, and I'm looking forward to a career in a nonprofit field that I have fallen in love with. If there's one thing you would have liked to know before going into this sector, what would it be? Oh, probably so many things, but one thing. Okay, probably not going to surprise you, Andy, but for me, the one thing is um, setting boundaries and setting boundaries with time and energy 
um, and setting boundaries for myself even more than anybody else. Because what I think happens, and I can relate to the person writing this, and I love it because I love someone that's sort of excited and they've fallen in love with, with right, the their career in the nonprofit space. But you start, I was this similar way, right? And I started and, and had went, you know, 150% giving everything, not taking vacations. There's never enough, right? You can never, there's ne- it's never going to end. The job's probably never going to go away. You're never going to totally, like, there's always something to do or help someone or to do something. And so for me, that has been a life, it's, it's a lifelong struggle. And it's, it's, I think when you're in a field that you're naturally attracted to helping and service and a mission, it is really tough to set your own boundaries of, listen, I, I should take a vacation every year and I should take time off and I shouldn't work every day, 12 hours a day and wear that as a badge of honor. And I think, you know, I can say, and you know, someone in their forties right now, like I, I have very much struggled at points in my career with burnout because of that and because of that mentality. And I would say to anybody, whatever you can do to try to realize like you're more than your work. And so it's so easy in this field to kind of get just saturated in it. So that would be my thought. Yeah. I've, I'm, I'm going to say something very similar to what you just said. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I, I expected you to go totally different than no, me. So interesting. No, I think I, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it is different, it's, it's, <laughs> but it's similar. So I think, I think the, the thing I wish I'd known, like when I when I first started, is that that it's just a job that you have to remember that you are being paid to do a thing and that 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 is that is the extent of the relationship with your organization. And you should keep that in mind because that that clears a lot of stuff up that nobody owes you anything like because you're working in the sector and you're a good person and you're doing a great job. So what? It's a job. Your responsibility is to do what you're hired to do. And, and that's it. And that, that getting emotional about the way things ought to be <laughs> oh boy, is yeah. never, is never healthy for you. And that, that you, you need to remain within the bounds of what your position is. So like, I mean, as you can probably imagine, like I have a very low tolerance for people who are not doing their job very well. Hmm, that's so, a shock. <laughs> is that a shock? Right. So, so like, uh, you get the sense that, especially in nonprofits, the work is important. The work is always important. And you don't join an organization because you think their mission is meh, right? You join an organization because you're like, oh my gosh, we have to do this. Right. This is so critical. We have to do this. And you get super excited about it. And then when the person sitting in the chair, two chairs down, right, is not there for the same reason you are, like, it's really easy to get just like really worked up about like, why can't you get your act together and yeah. do your job? Like, this is important. And like that sort of interpersonal stress and like drama about other people not being able to meet your personal standards isn't your problem. It's probably the problem of somebody like one or two jobs ahead of you. Like somebody who's the executive director of the board should be the people that are worrying about that. And it's up to you to just do what you're paid to do. And then, you know, where you can help, help, like do what you do what you can to make the organization better, but but the everybody else that works with you is not your responsibility. It's interesting to hear you say that because I will say as from personal experience, because I was because I did always when I was actually entrenched in the sector, especially early on in my twenties, I was really I resented the fact that other people why you know, I would I would be like, Why am I the 
first one here in the morning? Why am I the last one here at night? Mm-hmm. And I really grew a resentment. And that was, and why why doesn't any anyone else care as much as I do and right. work as hard as I do? And it's exactly what you're saying, right? And it was kind of, but I also struggle with you talking about it being just a job because I get, I think, I think for some people it is just a job. For other people, it's a calling. It's, it is what they want to make a career. I mean, career is different than job, right? There's different. I mean, so, so I guess I just think it's one of those things that how do you, whether it is just a job for you, right? And you want to work for a meaningful organization and just do what you got to do and do it in a good way versus someone that says, I want to spend my life doing this and sort of changing the world, which is a much different thing than just looking at it as a job. But either way, the common thread is you've got to figure out how to just manage yourself. Like, because there's also energy vampires, right? Energy vampires everywhere. (laughs) And people will, I'm going to tell you what, people will suck you in and take advantage. Like, I mean, I think I was, I still struggle with that, right? People going, oh, Stacy will do it. Stacy will say yes. Stacy always wants to help, right? And so, and I think people who may be listening to this may understand that. And so then once you become that person, like you kind of like, you become like, you get your self-worth out of like being the go-to person to help everybody, but Mm -hmm. that is destructive long-term. God, it's destructive. Mm -hmm. So just take it from me. I'm getting all personal here, but like (laughs) I need to go to therapy, but. (laughs) So this, I love this because I think it was, it's been six months or so since we had a different question. We had a different question about somebody who had a bunch of small jobs and they were looking for, you know, like they'd they'd worked for places for like less than a year and a few times. And they are asking whether or not that that was going to be damaging to their their prospects going forward. And you and I had very different opinions on that. You were more into like, I want somebody that's been doing the same (laughs) thing for a very long period of time to show that they have commitment. And I was on the other side, which is like, um, you know, if, if you've done what you need to do in, in 12 months, 18 months, and if the job is finished and you can move on and do better work someplace else, move on and do better work. I think this is exactly a manifestation of that totally different is. feeling between you and me, because you're, you're like, you know, it's a commitment. You have to stick with it. Like, yes. and I'm more like, look, if, if the organization that you're working with can't get the the job done and can't get their act together. There's lots and lots of other places. They're doing <laughs> lots and lots of things that are very similar and could be better. Yeah. You should always, I mean, in my opinion, no, 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 we differ on this. You should always have your eyes open. You should always be looking around to see like, where can I, where can I, and I, I, we agree on the impact yes. and how important it is. I think the, the specific position, like to clarify the specific position that you're in, in any given moment is the job. Yes. And that's what you were hired to do. If it's not satisfying, if it isn't working out the way you want to do it, like jump ship, go someplace else. Actually, you make a really good point. And we do come at it very differently. And I guess um, I'm a little bit bright eyed, bushy tailed with this, but I still um, I guess I want to I want to sort of nurture and wrap my arms around the people that may be listening to this that were like me at in their 20s, because I'm going to tell you it is a hard habit to break. So once you start down the path of giving, always going above and like setting it out like that at the beginning where you don't ever give yourself a break, it becomes the expectation quickly of everyone around you. And it is so much harder to reverse. So like whatever you can do to kind of be thoughtful and manage that um, and realize the work's going to be there tomorrow. Right. And, and you'll actually be probably way more refreshed and better off if you get, you know, some sleep that night and whatever, go work out or whatever it is you like to do. Right. Right. 
During my recent performance review, the board shared a few items they'd like me to share with them. One of those was staff performance evaluations. I reminded them that I report annually that the evaluations are done, but the board still wants to see this. Is this common practice? What do I do? Oh, geez, not common practice, nope. and it is not best practice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm cringing. If you can just see my face, it's the cringing look face. How about you, Andy? I'm cringing too, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, for me, I go right to find out the why behind your board's question. I mean, is there something they're concerned with? Because why would they be asking? That's pretty micromanaging and getting into the weeds, and it's just not their role. No. At all. <laughs> so, um, so play this for them. Uh, no, um, you know, is it a trust issue? Is there something else? You know, sometimes I think some of this comes from past bad experiences that I don't know how long. Um, I'm assuming the person writing this is an executive director. I'm not sure how long you've been an executive director. There could have been stuff in the past that led down this this path. But I guess that still doesn't excuse it. So I think it's it's about really kind of an education about, listen, that that's kind of, you know, that that's not your role, um, candidly. But, you know, it's also, you know, if they really insist, I mean, so here's the thing, though. I don't think this is this is sort of a Band-Aid to the problem. If they really insist, then bring in, I don't know, someone from the outside, HR person, someone who's a volunteer, somebody who can come in and review that you did them and report back to the board you did them, I guess. Or because it just, the board shouldn't be seeing that kind of stuff. Like that's just not appropriate. And I guess I would also say, or have your staff sign and date that they went through a performance evaluation and show, give that to your board. But I just, that still feels icky. Like those are I think temporary solutions, but I think there's a larger issue here. Yeah, I think you're right. Cause it feels like the sort of organizational adolescence thing we've talked about before where you go from being a, maybe, I mean, I have no idea, but going from being a working board where they're responsible for everything to all of a sudden there's an executive director who's professional and can do the job for them. Yeah. And then maybe there's some confusion over who's, you know, what the board's role really is because here's the, here's the problem. When, when you, when the, the board has direct access to things like performance reviews. They're, they're, the only reason that they would possibly want that is because they're going to go around you to deal with it. Yeah. Right. So, so you, you know, recognizing that, you know, you need to stand your ground and say, hey, look, I'm the executive director and it's my job to manage the staff. You've hired me specifically so that I can manage the staff. Tell me what it is you're trying to achieve by getting the performance reviews. Do you want to is this part of my performance review right. as the executive director? Do you want to know not only that I've done them, but that they're, they're good or that, you know, that, or maybe you think that the, I mean, here's, here's a, like a practical example from an organization that I've, I've seen um, is the board was always super unhappy with the development staff. They just thought that the development, like specifically the, the board chair thought that the development people just weren't doing their job. Oh. They were like, you know, they, they just didn't that's think. that's such a rare thing, you know. <laughs> right, I know. And so, so they were always on yeah. the development person. So I can see an example of like the board feels like fundraising should be better. And rather than telling the executive director the fundraising should be better, they want to like put the blame on the poor development person who's just doing the right exactly. thing the right way, right? And not not doing whatever it is the the board originally did when they were raising ridiculous amounts of money by going to their friends. So so, you know, the, the, 
the the prescription there, I think you're right, is to to find out like what you're trying to achieve yes. with this, like and and do it in you know I, I'm never I'd never be good at this right because my my response would always be like that's none of your exactly business. like furrow your eyebrows yeah, and yeah, like, what the what's heck your problem it's like and let's, yeah let me buy you a book and you can read it <laughs> yeah, about here. what a board responsibilities are right so like coming up with the polite way to say. Um, like let's, let's talk about board roles and responsibilities. And maybe that's a good time to like have that kind of discussion with the board as a whole, with everybody yeah. and say, like, there's been a little bit of confusion about what my role as the executive director is. Um, so let's clear that up for you. I also think that this could stem, I mean, so I'm just trying to think of every potential angle. I think you brought up a, a good example, but I also think it could stem from, I, I, I think smart boards members, right? Oftentimes they, you know, they come from whatever corporate sector or other sectors where they know HR issues can be your biggest liability, right? Your biggest risk factor. I mean, it's, it it can be huge. And so there could be even a concern about just what is included in the evaluation or what, you know, like what the template is that's being used to evaluate. And so if that's the case, I don't know what you think about this, Andy, but like, you know, if, if the board wants to look at, you know, standard sort of policies and HR stuff to make sure it's in the, you know, legally acceptable and look at about, you know, let's look at the employee handbook. Let's look at sort of our whole HR structure systems and processes from a standpoint of is this legally compliant? Are we in best practice? Mm-hmm. I think that's okay. It's but it's not okay for them to get into the weeds of how you're evaluating, you know, Jane Doe or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good example. So what you what you then do instead of like talking about the performance reviews themselves, you're talking about the performance review process, yes. and then even then you go to because the board isn't going to know. No. Like not a, like there's a rare. It's, it's unlikely that the people on your board are going to be good at performance True. review process. Yeah. So find somebody that works for a exactly. bigger company and say, hey, can you connect me to some HR person at your company so I can talk to them about the performance review process and see if they have any tips right. for me, right? right. So, that you can, so that you're getting the board completely out of it. You're learning more exactly. about how to do it right, but you don't have them like... So here's the other thing, I was, as you're talking, here's the other possible reason <laughs> that, that this might have gone wrong is... Everybody got a everybody got a three percent raise this year, right? Yeah. And the board's freaked out about money, and so somebody decided that like, well, maybe you shouldn't have given everybody a three percent raise, so that they wanted like drill down into that. Yes. Um. So the 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 performance review process itself should be, you know, you sh- that should be addressed with the board. The the one place where the board does have some authority over it, if that was the problem, is that during the budgeting process, they should be approving how much of the how much is available yes for to be distributed to employees like is there a is there a bonus process in place is there a you know do you do like like we used to do back a long time ago cost of living increases occasionally right what's the what is the board approved for that salary bucket because that's a that's a perfectly reasonable thing for them to ask when they're when they're reviewing the budget is to say is this you know you've you've budgeted you know 10 percent for raises that seems high Right. right. Or, you know, or, you know, show me the salary survey that shows that exactly. that's adequate, right? Exactly. So that's, that's when they should have the input and it should be on the money side there and not on the, like, I want to see Jane Doe's review. I don't like her. I never have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or whatever the thing is, right? Let's ask her. Yeah, exactly. I just lost my controller and someone suggested I outsource my finance functions. Is outsourcing a good idea? What do you see as the pros and cons? 
Okay, so full disclosure, I um, am a huge fan of it uh, for a few reasons. Uh, I think, for one, there is sort of this built-in succession plan depending on what direction you go. So I'm going to provide a concrete example. There is an organization, about million-dollar annual budget, that I was talking to the other day that has outsourced their finance and their HR functions. Um, they... There was a learning curve at the beginning. They hired, a, they hired a company, right, that has, they have three different people from this company sort of assigned to their account and that all wear kind of different hats and different roles for, to, to deliver what they need for their finance function. And the executive director was just say, telling me the story of once they got past sort of the learning curve of working with someone virtually, having someone was outside the office, the amount of time saved, the amount of energy saved, the amount of money saved was huge. Um, When you take that compared to a salaried employee that depending on the size of your organization, maybe doesn't need, you know, is getting paid full time, but really isn't working full time. Um, And they also were talking a little bit about the fact that at the end of the day, if someone at that company leaves, that company, ha- there's, there's a team of three, like there's a wraparound team. There's someone else to step in for them so that it's not, you know, in the nonprofit sector, we know turnover is high and rampant. And so you kind of have that built in succession plan without having to go through the headache of hiring and finding the right person. And, you know, you're going to do the training anyway, whether you're outsourcing it or not. So, and it say, I just think it can save you money if you do the cost analysis. So, I mean, that's, I don't know, I'm saying all pros. I mean, I guess, I guess the con, I would say, in my opinion, would be if you're someone who really wants someone right at your fingertips that's like in like, you know, you could see and walk to their desk and have like a conversation, you have to sort of change the way you think about it because it changes it, right? It's all kind of, it's most of the time technology based. So if you're looking more for that, if you tend to be any sort of micromanager or controlling personality, no offense, like at the end of the day, you probably want someone closer to you than having this outsourced. But I honestly think the outsourced can be, I actually think it's where the nonprofit sector needs to go more of instead of always hiring staff. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think the cost analysis is a good way to look at it. So if you've got, you know, if, if your organization, and a lot of organizations are just small, they're small, they, I don't have enough money to pay for somebody. So, so you hire a bookkeeper, right? right? And that's just basically the outsourced function, right? right. You've got somebody doing bookkeeping. Now, today, it's much easier to, um, to do that because you've got something like, you know, not to pitch products, but something like QuickBooks Online, where it used to be that, that the, everything was installed on a desktop system. If you wanted reports, you had to like call the person and wait for them to run what you wanted. And then, you know, a day or two later, they get back to you and ask you another question. And so, so like the, just the, the bandwidth was so awful, but now with something like QuickBooks Online or something, you have access or you should, you better have access to be able to go in and look at it and make sure that everything is right. The, the thing that you lose, I think, with with having somebody outsourced, especially if you've just picked, you know, a bookkeeper out yes. of the phone book or whatever. Do people still use the I phone book? I don't. Do you even so. get a phone book anymore? <laughs> You're dating yourself, Andy. And so, like, you would get on your get in your on your horse and ride to the <laughs> general store, and no. So the um, in my day, we walked Lord. through so much snow good to Lord. get to school. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, what were we talking about? <laughs> so, so <laughs> no, okay. what you lose. I, I yeah, what, yeah, so what yes. you don't get is if you just, if you just picked a bookkeeper, somebody that you, you know, hey, do you know a bookkeeper that can do nonprofit stuff? And every bookkeeper is going to go, yeah, I totally know how to do that. Like 90% of the time they don't know how to do that. 
right? They, they say they know how to do that, but then you ask them, I mean, if it's a CPA and they have other clients that do nonprofits or have a bunch of clients that do nonprofits, I think you're in good hands, but then you're going to be paying a little bit more for a bookkeeper that's doing CPA work. So, so you have to be very careful finding a person that's going to be able to make sure that your card chart of accounts is put together in such a way that you can spit the 990 out. Because if you get to the point where you're going to need an audit or you're doing the big 990 instead of the easy, right? Those, those are more complicated and you want to make sure everything's set up the right way before you get to that point. Or you're going to spend a lot of time because your auditor is going to have to disassemble everything and reassemble it the right way and ask you a million questions. And that's expensive. So, so when you're doing that cost analysis, you need to make sure that the person that you're, you're talking to can actually do it right. And in some cases that's going to start to get more expensive than hiring somebody in, in house. True. So, so it's a, it's kind of a, it's a trade-off. A lot of the things, I mean, you know, even 10 years ago, all you're still writing physically writing checks and somebody, you know, you needed to get like two signatures on your checks. Right. And if you have that whole system outsourced to somebody else, that gets to be really expensive. But now there are systems that people use. And I recommend all the time is just like all of that function or the expenses and everything, the check writing is all basically on your computer. You never touch a check. It gets all the correct authorizations based on the computer, the same way you do all that kind of stuff. And it spits the check right out of the system. It gets mailed from God knows where, even not even get mailed. It might just be an ACH that gets dropped into somebody else's, somebody else's account. ACH is like a electronic check basically. Um, so, so there are ways to do it, but it's a lot of sort of setup. The other thing that you're not going to get a lot of times with a, with an outsourced person that isn't specifically doing this activity is once you get around to the budgeting process, right? So you're going to want to do a budget. You're going to need budgets to actuals, a, an organization, a, you're going to be uh, applying for a grant and the grantor is going to say, can you please send me this completely absurd spreadsheet that I just invented or I just downloaded from the internet and didn't change, right? So you're going to get junk like that. And if you send that to your bookkeeper, they're they're not going to know what to do with it or they're going to do it in a crappy way, right? So having somebody that understands or that that is committed to being able to do grant reports, um, doing the front-end budgeting from the grant side to doing the P&L to being able to provide um, the sort of nonprofit specific um, accounting reports and things like that. You got you to gotta make sure that the outsourced person is capable of doing all of those things and is, is, is doing it well enough that you're actually getting your money's worth. Because if, if, if you have to run around and try to get all that stuff every time you need a new thing and you have to go back and forth and back and forth, like your time is valuable and you have to make sure that you're paying somebody. So, so I think it's, a, it's sort of an individual decision. I know organizations that do it and do it well. Um, and I know organizations that like, it just would never, ever work. Like some organizations that if you have inventory or if it's at all complicated or there's a lot going on, like I would never recommend outsourcing your, your, your controller. Well, and I guess I'm also thinking a little bit about, I guess one of the downsides would be if you have someone that is in, in house, right. That is your own employee. If you have an emergency or someone, your board member wants such and such financial report, or like you said, a funder, you go to their office and say, listen, I need you to stop everything and I need you to do this. You lose that sense of um, control and timeliness sometimes when it's outsourced. Because How many times have I seen like this grant report is due today. I forgot to tell you, I need this thing. And you have to spend the next two and a half hours of your time just figuring out how to put it together. If you've got an outsourced person, they may just tell you 
sorry, sorry I can get next yeah. to next Tuesday, you know, exactly. and you just screwed up that relationship. So, yeah, I think, I mean, there, there are some factors. I guess I just don't want people, I think it's worth people at least exploring. And I think it's also um, from the cost savings. I mean, I guess you also have to think about me, think about all of the things that it costs to have an employee, including just your space in your office and sort of your equipment mm-hmm. and your software. I mean, if you take all that together, I just think it would be interesting to kind of compare that to an outsourced function. And I think some people who may have more of an outdated way of looking at things feel this need to really feel like they're getting their money's worth. I want a controller that's in the office 40 hours a week. So I see them here, but you know, it should be about getting the job done. So like if you can hire someone, um, you know, and so, so many times I've heard organizations where that controller is doing whatever to like fill up their time just because they don't have enough stuff to keep them busy. I mean, that's not always the case, right? But sometimes, whereas you outsource it, it's like, great. You know, whatever that agreement is, who cares? Like if it takes them two hours to get it done, great, because they're super efficient, and super fast. If it takes them 20 hours, whatever, that's that's not your problem. Um, I don't know. So I, I, there's so many factors. Yeah, that's a good point. So one of the benefits of having it be outsourced is if, especially if they're charging you, they're charging you a flat rate or they're charging you like a chunk of money, like they have an incentive to get it done as fast as possible. Like, so if, if it's supposed to take two hours and I can bill you for two hours, but I can do it in 15 minutes, I'm going right. to do it in 15 minutes. I'm going to bill you for two hours. Right. So, and then it just gets done. Yeah. Like, so, so there, there are, there are benefits to it, but yeah, you have to kind of go in with eyes open and make sure you think about like the full stack of activities that you want that person to be responsible for and absolutely bake into the contract that if, that you need a response to things in less than 90 minutes, like during business hours that you have to have, even just if it's an email, like, oh my God, I, you know, I'm in the hospital. Like it has to be a 90 minute response. And you know what else this ties into? I'm thinking about one of the prior questions we've, we've answered about sort of helping explain finances to the non-finance staff. I think you lose some of that when you outsource, unless you have that part of the contract that that person who's outsourced comes in, but there's there, it becomes more of just truly a function and not like as much of always a team effort. I think if you outsource it, unless you really spell that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You lose some of that consulting piece of it too. Cause if you've just got a bookkeeper, they're going to say, tell me what you want to do. Like they're never going to come in with, it would be much better if, exactly. and tell you how to change a bunch of stuff. They're just going to do the job exactly. a lot of times. So. That's it. You did it. You got to the end of another episode of Nonprofit Everything. Thank you very much to our producer, the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. If you're not an Ann member, go ahead and do that right now. The other thing we'd like you to do is go ahead and go to the Ann webpage or go to the Nonprofit Everything webpage or go to Facebook or someplace else and ask us a question. So if there was something during this episode that made you wonder, go ahead and write it down. If it's something that you think, great. If it's something that you think other people need to know about, go ahead and send us that question also. Because again, we're looking for more Nonprofit 101 questions. We love those, even though we can't seem to answer them at 101 level, but we'll do our best. Thank you.